Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Well, good evening. Welcome to episode 00000033 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'll be your host through till 8 this evening. I'd like to start off by acknowledging the land on which I'm broadcasting from, that of the Kulin Nation and particularly the Wurundjeri people. And I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging uh, we have a good show for you tonight. We have just the one interview, but it's a very good interview. It's an interview that I um, pre-recorded uh, earlier this week, and it's a um, it's basically a couple of people yarning about stuff, but uh, fortunately the person I'm yarning with is Leah Purcell. Now, if you don't know the name, you'd certainly know the face. Leah's been gracing our stages and screens for a long time, and now... She's a writer, director, actor, and now a novelist. So we'll be talking about her book, The Drover's Wife. We'll be talking about a whole bunch of other things as well. So stick around for that. I'll probably play it in two parts. It's going to require some precision button pressing on my behalf. But, uh, you know, am I a man or am I a mouse? Um, as always, the best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. My handle is at Mr. T. T. James. You can use the hashtag too strong for Karen. Oh, sorry, no. Uh, that's for something completely different. Well, there's a great hashtag, though. I don't know whether you saw it or not, but over the weekend there was a massive outpouring on social media and all sorts of platforms, both um, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, about an incident that happened up in uh, Mildura where um, a couple of people encroached on an Abor- Aboriginal family's land and tried to take down the Koori flag that they were displaying and uh, that met with uh, some pretty swift consequences for uh, for those two and the unfortunate thing about the whole thing of course is that it's just an incident that happened to be caught on film things like that happen for people all over the place Aboriginal people all over the place both in rural settings country towns and urban settings but um, it was nice to see just a little bit of justice down. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Twitter. It's probably the best place to go and just check out the hashtag Too Strong For You, Karen. It's um, quite a hashtag. So crack open a tinny, sit back and relax for the next hour. This is the mission. It's going to be a chilled show. 102.7 FM, Triple R. Three. Triple Purcell is a proud goer, Gungari, Waka Waka, Māori woman from Queensland. The youngest of seven kids, Leah grew up in Mergen in Queensland. She's an award-winning actor, director, writer and singer. And she has graced our screens and stages for over 20 years in a wide array of roles. Most recently on the small screen in the amazing series Wentworth, where she plays Rita. Not only but also, Leah is an acclaimed writer and a novelist. And she has a novel out at the moment called The Drover's Wife, The Legend of Molly Johnson. In that novel, which was first developed as a play, 
Leah reimagines the Henry Lawson classic, The Drover's Wife, as a compelling Australian Western thriller full of passion and fight. I'm honoured to have the author here in the studio with me now. Leah, welcome to the mission. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's start at the beginning. Are you disappointed that you had to give up your work as a meat worker to pursue a career in the arts? Absolutely. <laughs> um, not at all. No, I, but I did enjoy my time at the Meatworks. It, it made me appreciate looking for something that I really yeah. wanted to do and not that I would knock anyone working in the uh, meat, uh, Meatworks. My sister was a foreman there so yep. and she worked hard and, and, um, and you know, it... it it, it held me in good stead over the holidays with my little uh, pay packet, yep. and but it just makes you appreciate money, the value of money, and and and, and that. So, but no, um, I'm glad I sort of stuck to my dream. I didn't know how I was going to achieve my dream, being a young girl from the bush in Mergen, where you didn't have any really outlets in the performance mm. world, other than you know, dancing at your own parties <laughs> in Mergen. Um, but yeah, but. What, what what did encourage me was we at the Mergen High School we had a three month short course where you could do music theatre and at the end of that three months uh, we put on a show for the the Mergen at the Mergen Town Hall for the locals over three nights yeah right and they come and we did bloody good shows too and uh, and that's where I sort of that's why I loved high school because for for at least six months I could do that for three months and then play netball for three months and yeah, right. took my time about going back to school and. Focusing, but yeah, I know what you're saying about you know working in the meatworks. I um you know clean toilets up and down the Hume Highway for a couple of years to get myself um you know during a gap year yeah. um, to to get myself to, to university, and you know just that you know honest everyday sort of hard work really gives you a perspective on yeah. things. You know as much perspective as you know travelling. You know, yep. from from my point of view, yeah, absolutely. Now, like you said, you um, you grew up in Mergen, and yeah, you were exposed to you know theatre through you know activities at high school. Yeah. How how did your career into the arts actually? You know, how did that path emerge? Yeah. Well, um, it was I, I I fell pregnant at seventeen. I turned eighteen in August. My daughter was born in September, and my mum died in October. Mm. And and it was it was that sort of <laughs> all piled on onto me. I went I went down the wrong path for a, a little bit there. Um, you know, I was in a, abusive relationships, and and I saw my mum turn to alcohol to try to drown her problems. Yeah. So I was doing that for a little while, but I said that wasn't right. That wasn't me. It's not right for my daughter. And I just pulled myself out. And when I was working working this out. I caught a reflection of myself in a mirror that I used to dance in front of and recite movies in, in front of and I looked at myself and I said, who are you? I sort of lost myself. And this little voice in my head said, now that your mother's passed, there's nothing keeping you and Mergen other than right. material things. Um, why don't you become an actor? <laughs> and I went... Hmm, I'm not sure how to do that, but I guess You're having this conversation with, with yourself. myself in the mirror and, and 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 you know, and it was it was that little voice that said, Why don't you just go and pursue that? And so I just packed up and left. I had no plan. I just had knew I had to get out of town and um, for a number of reasons. And and then I um hooked up with a, a a girl that I went to primary school with. She was moving down to Brisbane and she was getting a flat and she said, If I get one, will you 
come with and help with the rent. And I went, oh, yeah, thinking, you know, two two weeks to a month. And she rung me the next day and said, I've got a flat. And I went, okay, looks like I'm moving to Brisbane. And then she was doing a acting course in the valley. Take your money if you're crap, take your money if you're good. Learned a little bit <laughs> if you, you were inclined. Um, and she was doing that. And uh, I said, do you mind if when you're finished the course, I start in the next one? And she said, oh, yeah, you don't have to ask me. So it was it was running into her that you know, that really was a turning point. I had accommodation to go to. She inspired me to, you know, because she was doing something that I wanted to do and and away and away I went, you know. And so you didn't actually find the path, you just created your own path, you forged your own path. Yeah, yeah. But I, I believe that there's many paths carved for us. It's yeah. the steps that we choose to take will lead us on something. I, I could have easily went down a whole different path yeah, right. and not be here. Mm-hmm. Um and whether I'd be still living, you know. So, so I, I, I think I think you've got to be open to receive that positive stuff. And when you see those opportunities, you've got to have the bravery to just grab it. Yeah. I, I had no idea what was going to happen. I just said, I've just got to get out of here, and I'm going to take one one day at a time, one step at a time, and see where where, where it got me. And 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 then and then when I, and when you are brave enough to take that first step. It's easier to take the next step and the next step as long as you've got a, as long as you can see that there's something at the end of, of, of that road or that tunnel or that moment and just keep grasping. I'm still grasping. Me writing a novel, a failed English, mate. I don't know. <laughs> well, I can, I, can vouch for, I can vouch for the book. I mean, I've left the book in the car stupidly, but um, uh, the, the writing is clean, it's concise, mm. it's evocative. So yeah. it's, you know, well done. Congratulations. Oh, <laughs> You're the youngest of seven children, mm. and if we were to label, you know, if we were to put a label over your entire career, I, I guess it would be storyteller. Yes. So how how you know if you're the youngest of seven, you you witness a lot of humanity <laughs> as, you, <laughs> as you grow up. How did that impact you know on your writing, on your storytelling, and on, on your acting? Yeah. Well, I guess. Um, it was my mum actually because she was a great storyteller. I come from a family of storytellers. Mm-hmm. I've got an, an uncle and an aunt that would put Whoopi Goldberg and Robin Williams to shame, delivering <laughs> a punchline, you know what <laughs> I mean? So I, I was, mean. yeah, I was privileged to sort of sit at their feet, uh, probably the last of that generation, you know, where kids did actually sit at the feet of elders and listen to stories yeah. or, you know, stories were passed down and, it's, you know, it's all technology now um, and, and I just... I just cherish those moments, and and you know my mother was a card, you know, and, and we'd have it might be, might have been around a carton of forex, but the sharing of stories, the sharing of culture. I had an aunt that was a singer; she wrote and played, uh, wrote music, uh, wrote her own songs, played a guitar, mm-hmm. and that was in the days where there was hardly any, you know, Aboriginal people on TV for music, or let alone, you know, she'd jump up on the stage with Slim Dusty. She had no shame. <laughs> she just got up and, you know, um, I think um, what's his name, Charlie Pride. Pride was out here, and she just jumped up on stage. So I come, I Charlie came Pride. from that. Yeah, yeah. He got rid of her though, but uh, <laughs> so we weren't allowed to play Charlie Pride anymore. But um, but you know, it was just that those influences that sort of encouraged me. And my and my my mum's Aboriginal, my dad's white. He wasn't a lot in my life, but later in life, when we did sort of reconcile, he um, he was a great storyteller too, and and a man for facts. He had mm. his his mind was just amazing. You know, he was un well in hospital but he was still bringing up um, talking about floods in 1925 yeah, and, you okay. know so I just I guess 
I, I, I believe that because of who my family are, it was instilled in me or it was gifted to me mm. through that and I was meant to be a storyteller. And then, you know, just with my old man as well, you know, from that side, he was always great. That's what I. That's our, what our relationship was really based on, apart from saying, hello, how's the weather, how's your garden? And then we'd just, he'd just start talking about the old days and I learnt quite a lot through him. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, for their talents. Yeah, because your, your mum grew up on um, at Sherberg. Yeah, Sherberg. And, um, uh, you know, explain what Sherberg actually is for yeah, people. Yeah, well, Sherberg was founded in 1905 and it was actually a dumping ground yeah. where they actually got uh, about – there was around about 300 people that they placed their Aboriginal people and they're all from various tribes around the area. Um, so, you know, there could have been tribes there that were meant to be warring with yeah, one another. Yeah, exactly. So – but they just – Put them on this location on the Bramber Bramber Creek at the time, so that was called Bramber Mission back in my mum's day when she was there, and they were told to survive. So after three months of living in this fenced area off the land, they sort of went back to the government and said, "Well, we've eaten everything. Now your fences are keeping us in from going out and to sustaining ourselves if off nature. What are you guys going to do about it?" And that's when the churches came in to help run uh, run run the mission, and they had an overseer. The overseer was there right up until 1975. Yeah. So when my mum left, left Sherberg when she was 15 because her father was offered a job out out uh, in, the, in the local area for some um, uh, white people that sort of had a lot of land and he ran cattle for them. And um, but so, so, you know, it was, it was looked upon as can Aboriginal people sustain themselves what we of a government are going to do about this. But it kind of got into a bit of a rut. Now Sherberg is, is doing well. They are governing themselves. I think it's an opportunity for to show that um, it could be a great place living in those communities, you know. Um, just got to get that young blood in there and leadership and vision, visionary, you know, of how to make it prosper. But it wasn't a very nice place. There was no, overseers. You, you, every movement was recorded. Um, you went, your wages were taken from you. You never, ever got your full um, wages. Sometimes your money was taken and you were paid in blankets, sugar, flour and yeah. tea. And as I said, the overseer did not leave until eight, uh, 1975. So when we wanted to go out and see our relatives on the mission, we had to seek permission. Yep. My mother was a bit of a rebel. She goes, I don't need to seek anyone's permission to do anything. But, <laughs> um, and I go, oh, Mum, you're going to get us thrown in jail. But, but you know... Um, and it and 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 it and it, and it was a depress, depressing place because you weren't free to move around. You had to be out of town, out of Mergen, by sundown, yeah. or at least on on um, uh, I guess the eastern side of the railways, because on the western side there was all the pubs and the literally the other the side shops. of the tracks. Yeah, yeah. So you know, but and I guess we we got racism from both sides because my grandfather did leave the settlement was working for white people. We were considered the accepted coons, the, mm-hmm. you know, the accepted blackfellas. And so then you get the lateral violence oh, on the other side. Oh, absolutely. So you got those that – because a lot of the people that did – when my grandfather was given the exemption to leave the mission, there was a group of families, but they all moved to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. So they didn't stay local. So we got it from – we weren't black enough to be black and we weren't white enough to be white because then with your white fellas, you were Aboriginal people and you knew you had to know your place. Yeah. So uh, we got it from both sides. But, you know, I wouldn't change any of my um, early days for anything because it made me stronger in the person that I am and I'm better off for the experiences that I had. 
You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Yeah, you're listening to The Mission on Triple R 102.7 FM. My name is Daniel, and I'm speaking to the multi talented Leah Purcell, the prolific Leah Purcell. <laughs> Where do you find the time to do everything? I just do. Life's about living, so I just grab it, you know. I don't uh, – you've you got one crack at it and I just want to make the most of it. And I get that from my, my my grandmother and my mother because my grandmother was part of the Stolen Generations, so she never had a voice. Yep. And I sort of call my mother from that generation. They were that generation after all the removals where culture and language and – you know, wasn't wasn't passed down, so they were sort of the lost generation of where do they fit into this world? And I'm I was born at a time where I could prosper, and I said if I did not do something with my life, it would be an injustice to what my mother right. and my grandmother you feel went the through. Responsibility. So I felt the responsibility that I had to make them proud of what I did, and everything I do is driven by what they couldn't do or, or the chances they didn't. The limitations didn't, yeah, put on them. Ab- absolutely. So um, and and and. And as I said, life's for living. And so you're living a limitless life. Yeah, I'm just I'm just having a crack, as they say. I'm just having a go. Um, let's turn to um, the driver's wife, the legend of Molly Johnson, which is out now in all good bookstores. Um, it was originally a play. Yeah. It's a killer idea. Yeah. How did that? How did you arrive at the concept? Yeah, I. Um I was a I was I was a director in a work a writers workshop and I was frustrated with all these writers and I said maybe it's time for me to that can happen yes <laughs> I said it was maybe it's time for me to write write again because um, I had done Box the Pony it's it's twenty years yeah, ago right. you know um, so I said maybe it's time and I went home and uh, looked at my. Uh, bookshelf that, you know, I saved all these books for one day I'll do something with them. <laughs> and I saw my mother's little drover's wife uh, book there. It was a publication of Henry Lawson's um, short stories and it's got a little red cover and it was just sticking out a little bit more than the other books. So oh, I went, wow. I went, it's <laughs> time, it's time. So I so I pulled it off and I and I said to my partner, I said, I'm not going to read it, reread it. I'm just going to try to remember the story my mother told me. And away I went. So I wrote the play in seven days and I said, look, it's probably going to be crap but just have a read and, and it's a good foundation, it's a start. And he read it and come back and he said, oh, this is something special in here. And um, so then the, the the play, I was, um, you know, doing drafts of that and then he goes, there's a, there's a film in here and I went, yeah, I know that too. <laughs> so he said, it would be really great if you started writing that. Um, and then uh, he went off and, and, and got me a book deal and which was amazing because the things that I couldn't put in the play yeah. and I couldn't put in the screenplay, I could actually – Put, apply to the novel. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask you that. What, what you know? What's what's the what's the difference in terms of, of mindset and approach from from writing a play to, to writing a novel? Yeah, it's that, no, it's that detail that you can just go yeah, further into. Well, when you know, what, what's great with the the play and the novel is it is driven by words. Mm-hmm. It's the screenplay that was the different one because that's driven by imagery. And so just for the listeners, you are currently in the process or is it now We've wrapped? just finished wrap. We wrapped two weeks ago on the feature film, so I start the edit on Monday. Now that's so, when the real work begins. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> it, it tests us um, to see whether we um, got everything. <laughs> um, but, yeah, with the writing. So with, with the play you get two acts uh, and, and I started with a lot of monologues and then 
then people said it'd be great because we know Leah Purcell can do one-woman shows. That's a yep. lot of the work that they've done. And they said it'd be really great, you know, to get a play and get other characters in there. So I liked that challenge from the theatre house, Belvoir, and that's when I learnt, looked, that's when I went, well, I can have the peddler from the Henry Lawson origin, or I can have the bullock, yeah, I can yeah. have the swagman, I can have the troopers, I can have the stockman. Um, and then with the book, what that just done was um, – I just fattened all of that out, you know, and I could put and 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 what I what I had in the screenplay when I had to get rid of stuff, I said I can still carry that over to the novel as well. Yeah. And then you write backstories for all your characters because you've got to give them to actors to read. Yep. And I went glorious. I've already done that. Got it. So <laughs> I've got it. So it was about just you know chipping away, adding. Weaving stuff in, and it was. I just begged, I, I just stole from one place, gave to another, and then even when I got to the novel, and because I was so um, into the headspace of writing for um, TV and working directing uh, TV at that stage, um, it was very hard for me to go back to allowing the character has have yeah. inner, inner inner thoughts and dialogue with themselves. Yeah. Because when I first started writing for TV, that's was when I was doing Redfern. Now yeah. we had Jimmy McGovern, who was the writer yeah. of The Streets and um, and and many other things, uh, and he was. Uh, and I I gave one of my characters for TV a little. They they, they talked to themselves. And Jimmy was there going, Leah, come here. And I walked <laughs> up and I went, I went, yes, Jimmy. He said, uh, if if I ever see you have a character talk to themselves, I'll shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, yes, Jimmy. <laughs> so it was. So then I've got my editors at, at uh, Penguin Random House going, uh, Leah, you know, you can have internal Spend. thoughts. And, yeah. and I'm going, yeah, but the last time I did that, Jimmy McGovern had a gun to my head going, you do that, I'll shoot you. So PTSD. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it took me a couple of cracks before I could, you know, find that fluidity and allowing. But as soon as I opened that up, and that came in the second chapter where she's walking, they walk on the Sunday. And and then I went, I walk and I talk. And I went, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. And hey. away she went. And what was beautiful is that Molly Johnson drew, you know, I believe that there's a little bit of me in all the characters. Of course. And, but especially Molly, that she started to drag up stories that my father told me and especially when it was about that she had a good relationship with her father. And I guess I was writing for what I probably wished I had with my dad. Yeah. So I was, it was, it was just, yeah, I, I just had such an amazing time it, and, and, and loved doing it. It kind of sounds like you've got the bug. I do. Yeah. Dare I oh, say dear. it? I do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I was supposed to have last week off. <laughs> and by the third day I'm sort of rocking in my chair looking at my computer and I, I said maybe I can start that second book or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So because it was funny because what the editors did to me at the thing, they said, oh, Leah, can you give us another paragraph of what happens to the kids when they go to the mountains? And I went, yeah, 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 no worries. So I gave them 10,000 words later. <laughs> and they went, stop. This how, is how long did that take? A couple of hours? Oh, yeah, just smashed. <laughs> That. Oh, and yeah, mate, you got me on a good day. And they went, stop, this is the second book. What are you doing oh, to us? Fantastic. So they actually they actually started debating in-house, you know, how much do we put this in? And one was saying, no, 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 seriously, it should you know, wait for the next book. And so it was exciting. So that, that's really exciting, yeah, isn't it? it? Yeah, no, you, it is. You've, you've, found, you've found a format now that you can really, really expand the going. Because I'm guessing that um, uh, film and um, theatre – um, in terms of writing, is mm. about as much as leaving space yes. as it is in terms of feeling. That whereas 
being a novelist is about filling in the gaps. Filling in the gaps, exactly. Yeah. And that was another thing that was a big lesson too. You just reminded me that they said, fill in the gaps, Leah, fill in the gaps, don't yeah. leave it. And I went, oh, okay, cool. Wonderful. So it was, I, yeah, it was, it's, it was such a learning curve. And to have that story across those genres and, and I also challenged myself, I said, I don't, it is the same story but there's a difference in them and I made sure I wanted to challenge myself, especially in the novel, and I don't want to give it give it away, but I was very proud yeah. of myself. I'll tell you, you know, in that Molly, what happens to Molly, mm-hmm. in how you you got that experience from her, not visually, uh, but you her experience of letting go and where Absolutely. she was heading. And I was really chuffed with myself in that because, of course, in the film you will see it, mm. and then in the play it never happened. Yes, so, yes. So so I'm, 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 I, I was chuffed that I, that I could find. So it, that, that's a reminder yeah. if, you know, if, if, if it's on the stage again, go and see it because it's different yeah. from the book. Yes. If you want to read the book, that's fine because it's going to be different from the film. Film, yeah, yeah, <laughs> But it it's the same thing. Yeah, so no, it's Magic. exciting to have that. Yeah, no, it's exciting. Um, you're listening to The Mission on Triple R 102.7 FM. My name is Daniel and I am speaking to Leah Purcell. Um, just a couple of questions before I let you get on with uh, your publicity tour. <laughs> um, how, how, how have you found um, directing for the screen? Oh, I loved it. I, I've done a, I've, I've directed a lot for TV over the years and I've done my first, you know, my short films many moons because ago. Because this story lends itself to a cinematic experience. Absolutely, especially with the landscape. We, we yeah. shot in Adaminibi. It was it was the Yayak Valley, which is between Adaminibi and Canberra on the back road, so okay. dirt road, and um, the views were just spectacular and and being in that country I was up there um you know shooting jindabyne mm-hmm. and just fell Beautiful in love country. with it so so to go up there and find to find her Molly's Molly's plateau we called it um <laughs> nice one. her location and then we found we 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 did Everton just outside of Sydney um uh, Camden and out near Windsor um, on a property out there. And, and you know, with film, your budget really dictates a yeah. lot. You know, that's why you have to take things out. Um, you know, you've got to really consider your budget. But it was it was unreal. And we we shot it in um, 240, so it's oh, wow. panoramic. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to see it on the big screen. And When can we see it on the big screen? Well, I'm ho- we're with Village Roadshow and they okay. really want to push it out there, yeah. They really want. They they came chasing well, a, us. A big general big, release. Big general release. Wow. Yeah, we've got an international distributors, a group of women uh, from the company called Memento. They're based in um, France, and they've got a few Academy Awards up there. Dress skirts, I'll say. It's 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 a bit early, but But are you expecting an Oscar? I want one. <laughs> I, it was when I was a little girl. I dreamt that I would be there. So in Mergen, you know, that, that's all I had to hang yeah, on to. Yeah. So uh, you never know. You know, uh, whatever, you know. whatever, right. whatever comes comes. If if I don't, that's absolutely fine. As long as my Get audience, next time. yeah. But as long as my audience goes and is is moved by, because yeah. that's what you want. When I go to the theatre, when I go to see a film, I want to be. I want my mo- emotions to be stimulated. Whether I'm crying, getting angry, laughing, yeah. I just I want to be moved. I want to have an experience, and that's that's at the foremost of anything I do it, because it's my audience. Without my audience, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Without my fan base, so yeah. I want to make sure that I'm my stories are reaching people and moving them. And if I'm if I'm bringing about an understanding on Indigenous issues or women's issues, 
then that's a bonus. Well, mission accomplished. That's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, what? Um, let me let me be. We'll ask you one last question before you go, and it's a it's a general question. You've been in the arts for you know over twenty years now. How would you how would you describe the state of the arts in Australia at the moment? Well, at the moment, it's not looking too good with the emerging of you know the arts, and it's just ridiculous. You know, I think someone's you know uh, the arts in this country makes money. You know, one hundred eleven billion dollar industry. I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think it's just appalling the disrespect that 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 we have. And not only does it make money, but we help to change people's lives. We give encouragement. We give people a voice. We allow people to express their hardships, you know, through what we do, and 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 I just I, I'm I'm flabbergasted. I just I just can't believe it. And and we need to address this. We need to have uh, conversation and and um, you know I don't even want to debate it. We need to just have a have a conversation and. And, and do something about what, what's happening. Well, it reminds me of that Winston Churchill quote during the war when um, he was getting pressure from some of his ministers to cut back on art spending. Mm. And he said, well, what are we, what's worth fighting for if we don't have the arts, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's could, it. Um, you know, there's a lot of criticism of Winston, but uh, he was right on that one. He was, certainly was. Leah Purcell, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Triple R. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Leah Purcell. She's excellent value and her book is excellent as well. It's available in all good bookstores. The Drover's Wife, The Adventures of Molly Broom, I think. Um, it's a great book. Just go and look for Leah Purcell. It's fantastic. It's the only book she's done, but I think we're going to see a lot more from her. I have one more show to go and that will be uh, Christmas Eve next Tuesday. And I'm looking forward to that. I think uh, Christmas is a great time of year for a lot of people, but it's also a not-so-great time of year for a lot of people. So with that in mind, I'll be presenting a show that um, is a little different. I've checked with management, and uh, they said it'd be okay for me to do a reading. I said, look, is it okay if I do a reading of one of my um, one of my essays so I can just read that live there? They say, shit for brains, do what you want. We don't really care. Just don't mess it up. And that's kind of sums up my relationship with management here at Triple R. <laughs> but seriously, you know, they are, they are wonderful people. But uh, this is the end of the mission. And as always, we finish with the one and only Charlie Pride. Until next week, for last week's, for the last show of the year, good night. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>